Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Pregnancy is an exciting time full of hope and wonder and even trepidation. The addition of a child changes a person's life forever. And for victims of fetal abduction in the United States, their lives were brutally changed in a way they could never have imagined. In this series, we will explore cases of fetal abduction in America, from the highly publicized cases to the little known and every case in between. Join me, your host, Erica Kelly, for Fetal Abduction, a true crime podcast. It's a new podcast where we take a closer look at this rare yet heinous crime. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Fetal Abduction Pod and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm your host, Colleen. This is the second episode I'm doing where the earnings will be split and donated to a local bail fund and a farming collective that are helping free and feed protesters who have been arrested. And I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who listened to last week's episode covering Anthony Hill. This episode is covering the shooting death of a black woman named Kendra James by a white police officer during a routine traffic stop in Portland, Oregon. In the early morning hours of May 5, 2003, Portland Police Bureau Officer Rick Bean from the Northeast Precinct pulled over a 2002 Chevy Cavalier, claiming that they rolled through a stop sign without coming to a proper halt. There were three occupants in the car, two males in the driver and passenger seats, and one woman in the back seat. The driver, a man named Terry Jackson, did not have his license on him and was taken out of the driver's seat, handcuffed, and put in the back of a squad car. Two other officers were also on the scene. Once they put Terry in the car, the officer said that they were deciding how they would deal with the other occupants when the woman in the back seat climbed into the driver's seat. The officers believed that the woman was planning on driving away after the officer who initially pulled the car over reportedly told the woman that he recognized her. 
And when the police officers took the driver out, they left the car unattended with the remaining occupants inside and the keys in the ignition. It is believed that the woman, 21-year-old Kendra James, wanted to leave the scene because there was a warrant out for her arrest for failing to appear in court. She was a mother to two young children, so she may have been afraid that she would be arrested and unable to go home to her kids. The three police officers on the scene decided that they needed to keep Kendra in the car at the scene. While she was sitting in the driver's seat, Officer Scott McAllister entered the car through the open driver's side door. Kendra was a small woman. She was approximately 5'2 and weighed only 115 pounds. This was in contrast to Scott McAllister, who was 6 feet tall and nearly 100 pounds heavier than Kendra. McAllister claimed that he was 80% in the car with all of his weight on his left knee, which was resting on the driver's seat. Kendra was leaning away from McAllister over the center console towards the passenger seat. According to all of the responding officers, they were trying to remove Kendra from the car, but were unable to. The third responding officer, Kenneth Reynolds, stated that he tried to use his stun gun to subdue Kendra, but the stun gun was ineffective. Taking into account the voltage that police stun guns are capable of, this should have been enough to stop Kendra from trying to leave the scene. Police stun guns are able to administer enough volts of electricity to put a full-grown man on the ground for several minutes. Since Kendra was supposedly unaffected by the stun gun, it is believed that the police were unable to deploy it effectively, because she would not have been able to power through the electric shock and keep trying to drive the vehicle. Later, police would say that they think that they just shocked her jacket and did not actually shock her. McAllister also said that he attempted to drag Kendra out by her hair, but again was unable to get her out of the car. Then he said he drew his weapon and pointed it at her head in an attempt to make her comply. All of this happened in the manner of moments while the two of them were in the driver's seat. While he had his gun to her head, he said that he felt the car move. Citing fear that he would be sucked underneath the vehicle, he fired his weapon, hitting Kendra. He removed himself from the vehicle, and the three officers were finally able to take Kendra out of the car, who at this point was not conscious. They called for a paramedic, and Officer Reynolds left the scene, claiming that he needed to use the bathroom and did not return promptly, saying that he got lost on his way back. At the scene, the officers who remained behind did not administer CPR or other life-saving measures to Kendra. They would later say they believed that she was faking her injuries and pretending to be unconscious. Despite their stated belief that Kendra was faking her injuries, she definitely was not. Kendra was transported from the scene to the emergency room where she was declared dead from a single gunshot wound. McAllister clarified that when his gun was trained on Kendra's head, she put the car into gear and tried to drive away. This statement was challenged because waiting until she had a gun pointed at her head to put the car into gear didn't seem like a plausible thing for someone to do. Many people thought it was just as likely that the car was accidentally knocked into gear while the two struggled in the driver's seat. According to the Albany Democrat Herald, the officers involved went home and the next day they all had dinner together. 
This get-together happened before any of them were formally questioned by their superiors or by internal affairs. According to everyone in attendance, the topic of the shooting never came up in conversation. The Portland Police Bureau faced immediate and intense backlash from the community as soon as news of the shooting broke. And their demands were clear. The community wanted a transparent accounting of the shooting and proof that there was reason to use lethal force. Many people were appalled by how the events unfolded, and it begged the question, how did a routine traffic violation end with the death of one of the passengers? First, the validity of the traffic stop was called into question. The driver maintained that he did not run the stop sign, but the car had just pulled away from a parking lot of a motel that was known to law enforcement as a hotspot for buying and selling drugs. It is speculated that the real reason this car was pulled over was because it was seen leaving this motel and police hoped to find something incriminating in the car. The aspect of the shooting that was subject to the most intense scrutiny was the use of force and escalation on the part of the police officers. It was clear from the outset that the responding officers made several mistakes in the early stages of the traffic stop that had tragic and fatal consequences. First off, people wanted to know why the keys were left in the car after the driver was taken out. Leaving the keys and occupants in the car goes against common sense, as well as police departmental procedures. When it was apparent Kendra was trying to leave the scene, all three officers were around the driver's side of the door, and all three failed to deploy any of their non-lethal options. According to McAllister, he said that he tried to use his pepper spray, but his canister didn't work. It was later confirmed that there was nothing wrong with his pepper spray, and that McAllister's issue was user error. Even McAllister's explanation of the events seemed to paint a tense picture. Based on his recounting of the events, from struggling with Kendra in the front seat, to trying to pull her out of the car by her hair, deploying a stun gun, then pepper spray and eventually holding his firearm to her head, there was very little room or opportunity for Kendra to comply. Frankly, in their attempt to control the situation, officers on the scene created a chaotic environment with an unknown number of variables for how everyone involved would respond. And this is why the public was demanding answers. They wanted to know why the responding officers didn't step back from the car. Kendra was unarmed, so aside from being in a vehicle, she wasn't posing a threat. The threat that McAllister responded to with lethal force only became a reality when he climbed into the car. But finally, the most important question was even if Kendra was attempting to flee a traffic stop, why was her death the punishment? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The police chief at the time, Mark Croker, promised a speedy and thorough investigation into the shooting to determine if there was any wrongdoing by the police. In addition, the mayor at the time also vowed to review the police bureau's procedures for recruiting, training, and use of deadly force. Although it was a nice promise, the community viewed it as simply words and waited to see if there would be action behind them. There was and still is a deep mistrust of the police in Portland as well as other parts of the U.S. to act in the interest of the public, especially when confronted with holding themselves accountable. Thousands of marchers took to the streets of Portland demanding justice and transparency for Kendra. The investigation hit criticism early on due to the Portland Police Bureau's failure to interview any of the officers involved for four days after the shooting. Standard practice is to take a statement from the officers involved in a shooting as soon as possible and to keep them separated from any other officers who were at the scene. When it became public knowledge that the officers involved had dinner together the night after the shooting, there was even more outrage. Several community leaders leveled accusations of a cover-up by a group of police officers whose main objective was to exonerate themselves. Due to the clear conflicts that already existed in the investigation, Chief Croker asked the FBI to step in and conduct an independent investigation, in addition to their internal investigation, to determine if Kendra's civil rights had been violated the night she was killed. The FBI was on the scene just nine days after the shooting on May 14th. Kendra's funeral was held the previous day on May 13th and her service was attended by hundreds of friends, family, and community members. A grand jury inquiry was held over the course of five days and interviewed nearly 30 witnesses and experts. The outcome of this hearing would determine whether McAllister would face criminal charges for his actions the night he shot Kendra. While publicly it seemed that the Portland Police Bureau was eager to act on behalf of the community to get clear answers, the events during the grand jury hearing called their intentions into question. The Bureau publicized Kendra's previous drug convictions and made it a point to mention that she tested positive for using cocaine several hours prior to her death. The Bureau's own commander of detectives held a press conference stating that Kendra was, quote, known to law enforcement 
and they speculated that Kendra probably tried to escape because she had an outstanding warrant for her arrest for a failure to appear in court related to a drug possession charge. This press conference was seen by people outside the Bureau as a way to use her past to vilify her and justify their actions. This argument was further strengthened by the forensic recounting of the shooting. McAllister said that he was holding his gun to Kendra's head while they were both inside the car. When he felt the car move, he believed that she put it in gear and intended to drive away. Because he felt that he may be sucked underneath the car and run over as it moved, he fired his weapon. But McAllister's account of the scene didn't match the hard evidence that showed that Kendra was hit in the lower left hip from a couple of feet away. The bullet traveled from her lower hip up to the bottom of her ribcage, and the bullet that was recovered from Kendra matched the firearm that was issued to McAllister, which removed any doubt that she was actually shot by one of the other officers at the scene. Despite all of this, on May 19th, just two weeks after Kendra's death, the grand jury did not find that there was enough evidence to file charges against McAllister. While he still could be held accountable through the department's inquiry, he would not face criminal charges or prison time. The weekend following the outcome of the grand jury hearing brought out thousands of protesters who marched on the streets of Portland. Several protest attendees were quoted in the Statesman Journal, and one of the protesters was 23-year-old Shauna Davis, who was a law student, and she had previously met Kendra in a gang prevention program that they both participated in. She said, When the grand jury didn't indict, we saw that things haven't changed. I'm totally outraged, and that is justified any time you're faced with police brutality. It is important for the local community to stand up and hold the police accountable. McAllister could have shot the tire, he could have gotten out of the car and gotten out of the way. There were several options where Kendra would not have been killed. Another attendee, 23-year-old Lakita Logan, addressed the situation, saying, McAllister's explanation that he felt his life was threatened, as a person of color living in this neighborhood, we feel like our life is threatened every day. The local community were not the only ones unhappy with the grand jury's ruling. National experts working in criminology and policing released a statement that pointed out numerous errors on the part of the police the night that they shot and killed Kendra. They first cited the officer's failure to remove the keys from the car once it was stopped. The expert review also cited that the dinner the officers had before being interviewed by their superiors was inappropriate. The officers tried to explain this away by saying that the shooting never came up in conversation, but that seems highly unlikely considering it occurred less than 24 hours prior and someone lost their life. And finally, the expert review took issue with the actions taken by the officers while trying to remove Kendra from the car. Their negligence to remove the keys and their failure to work together to remove Kendra created a tragedy that was waiting to happen. With the grand jury already decided and the FBI investigation not showing any progress, the only recourse that Kendra's family had that would hold any of the officers accountable for her death was dependent on the outcome of the Bureau's internal investigation. Just a month and a half later, in late June 2003, Chief Croker announced that he had reached a decision. 
He said that after lengthy and thoughtful consideration, McAllister should face serious discipline and suspension. Although his announcement was worded strongly, it became clear that McAllister was not going to be held accountable. A suspension meant that he was not fired and he could return to work on the force. Outrage directed at the ruling was swift and from both sides. No one believed that a suspension was a fair punishment, but for different reasons. The community did not believe that the suspension was a harsh enough punishment for McAllister's actions. But on the other side, the police union backed McAllister 100% and spoke out against the Bureau's ruling and vowed to appeal it. Questions about the validity or completeness of the internal investigation hung over the ruling, and it is widely accepted that the investigation was incomplete or lacking. Chief Croker went on to say that they determined McAllister's use of force was correct and followed Bureau guidelines, but his actions that led up to the use of force were, quote, of concern. As a result, McAllister would face five and a half months of suspension without pay. In October of 2003, Kendra's family filed a $10 million lawsuit against the city of Portland and the Portland Police Bureau. They cited the officer's failure to administer proper medical aid to Kendra after the shooting as the primary reason behind the lawsuit. Their argument was strengthened by the lack of consequences that McAllister faced criminally and from within the Bureau. The lawsuit was dealt a blow in August of 2004 when the Internal Affairs Department in the Police Bureau cleared itself of any wrongdoing. It ruled that there was no violation of department procedures when none of the officers at the scene administered medical aid to Kendra after she was shot. McAllister said he saw no evidence of a bullet wound and believed that she was playing up her injuries. Therefore, by simply calling the paramedics, in the eyes of the police bureau, McAllister had done his job. The only issue the internal review brought up was the dinner the officers had the night after the shooting. They said that this dinner should not have occurred, but since the officers said that the shooting didn't come up during the conversation, that it was not a major issue. Other than that, McAllister's five-and-a-half-month suspension was considered sufficient punishment, and there would be no further punishment for anyone else involved. Then in January 2006, Kendra's loved ones suffered another blow. McAllister and the police union had been working to appeal his suspension since the punishment was handed down. Citing the internal investigation that had taken place in 2004, a judge reversed the sentence and ordered the suspension to be expunged from his record. In addition, McAllister was awarded back pay for the months that he was suspended. This move was widely praised by the police union who said, If officers get into a difficult situation and act in good faith, they need to know that they will be supported. And just like that, a judge erased any punishment or accountability the Portland Police Bureau faced in Kendra's death. And Scott McAllister continued to work for the police bureau. In May of 2008, five years after Kendra was killed, McAllister was involved in another fatal shooting when he and his partner attempted to apprehend a homicide suspect. This shooting was not contested as Kendra's was, but did generate news interest since McAllister was involved. 
In May 2013, there was a memorial to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of Kendra's death. Again in 2018, there was another memorial, this time to commemorate the 15-year anniversary of Kendra's death and to unveil a new plaque at the site of the shooting. At the time of this recording, Scott McAllister is still employed by the Portland Police Bureau. And despite acknowledging the glaring issues and incompetence of the responding officers, the police bureau declined to hold them responsible for it. This isn't a one-off issue, and it isn't specific to Portland. It's seen in police departments across the nation. And until police officers are held accountable, we will continue to see the unnecessary and tragic deaths of BIPOC people who are targeted by standard policing practices at a vastly disproportionate rate. And that wraps up the show for this week. Thank you for listening. For more information on this episode, visit the website misconductpodcast.com. You'll find links to source material and further reading on this episode and more information about misconduct. If you have a second, head on over to my social media pages and let me know what you think about this week's episode. You can share your thoughts and opinions with other listeners. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at misconductpod. And if you have a case that you would like to see covered, I recently added a case submission tab to my website. You can find a link to it in the show notes. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.